Welcome to the Mach 1 Market Moment Podcast with the team at Mach 1 Financial Group. The Mach 1 Market Moment Podcast starts now. Thanks for joining us for another edition of the Mach 1 Market Moment. I'm Walter Storholt alongside David Lee of Mach 1 Financial Group this week. And here in Northwest Arkansas, the place to turn to is the Mach 1 Financial Group team. You can find them online at mach-1financial.com. That's mach-1financial.com. And uh, David, we're going to be talking on today's program about excuses and how excuses often get explained away. Because very often we hear people try to make excuses or explain away some of their questionable financial decisions. And we need to just be honest with ourselves here and analyze why these choices, these decisions, and the excuses for them usually don't hold water. And I think then we can put together a better plan if we kind of reveal some of those things. So I'll give you an example of the excuse. You tell me why it doesn't hold water. One great example as we start off with Social Security is when somebody wants to start Social Security at age 62, the excuse for doing so is often something like, well, you know, I paid into the system for years. I want to make sure that I get my money back before it all goes bankrupt. Why is that a you know false belief there? The truth of the matter is it may not necessarily be a false belief. The, the thing that I always tell folks about Social Security is the optimal age at which you should take it is really, frankly, an unknown. And it's a, you know, it's something that we get a lot of questions on here at Mach 1. When should I take my Social Security? You know, I've heard people say you should take it as early as you possibly can because, you know, for the exact reasons you just stated there, Walter, because I've paid in for all these years, I want to get my money back out. Or I've heard other people say I should wait as long as possible. What's the right answer? What's the truth? And the truth is it's unknowable because to know at what age you should take Social Security, you got to tell me when you're going to die. And unless you can do that, then I can't tell you the optimal age to take Social Security. So then we are left in the realm of making certain assumptions. So what I mean by that is we have to, uh, you know, if we assume that you're going to live to be kind of an average age. If you make it to like age 62 on average for a, a male, I believe it's 83 now and, and female is 87. So if we assume that you're going to live to that age, then yeah, it's it's probably in your best interest to wait at least to age 66. So to the point of your question, you know, why, why might it be a bad idea to take it at 62, assuming that you're in good health and assuming you're going to you know, live a a good long life because obviously you're taking a huge penalty for the rest of your life on your social security earnings. If you take it at 62 versus waiting to 66 or even waiting until 70. So you're definitely better off waiting. If you assume that you're going to have an average to above average life expectancy, I believe that if memory serves me correctly, If you take Social Security at 62 versus at full retirement age, which for most people out there listening is 66 to 66 and a half, if you take it at 62 versus 66, you got to live to, I think, uh, 78, I believe is the number to break even. So in other words, if you plan on living longer than 78, it's probably in your best interest to wait. The other reason why you might want to wait longer is because Social Security is one of your only tax-preferred lifetime guarantee income streams. What I mean by that is no matter what your income level is, no matter if you're very high income or very low income, Social Security is not is the only income stream that you have most likely that is not 100% subject to tax. 
even at the highest income levels, only 85% of Social Security is taxable. At the lowest income levels, 0% of your Social Security income is subject to tax. So by delaying Social Security a little bit longer, and every year you wait, as you know, you get a little bit more Social Security income for the rest of your life. So by delaying longer, what you're effectively doing is you're, is you're causing more, a larger and larger percentage of your retirement income to be tax-free. Right. Because if if Social Security, if part to all of your Social Security is tax free and the longer you wait, the more of it you get, then the longer you wait, the larger percentage of your total retirement income is not going to be subject to tax. So that's just one reason why you might might want to wait. Other reasons uh, would include spousal protection. So if you're married, obviously, at the first death of the first spouse to die, the remaining spouse the surviving spouse gets to keep the higher of the two social security incomes. So another good reason for waiting is because you are protecting your spouse for the rest of his or her life by giving them the highest possible remaining income for the rest of their life. So one, one rule of thumb here is that the, the higher income earning spouse, the breadwinner, if you will, should probably delay as long as possible. Again, all other factors being equal as, you know, considering life expectancy, longevity expectancy, whatever you want to call it. All other factors being equal, if we assume you're going to live a long time, the rule of thumb is the higher income earning spouse should delay as long as possible. And if you need that, need or want that extra income, let the lower earning spouse claim earlier. But the higher earning spouse should delay as long as possible for spousal protection. So anyway, those are just a few things. I know that's a long answer to your question, but uh, but it very well may behoove you to wait as long as possible. Well, Social Security is just one of those things that always sparks lots of questions from people. Everybody wants to know how to get the most out of it, how to get it as soon as possible without missing out or uh, having that be a bad decision. So you've got these two competing things. How can I get my money quickly, but also how can I make sure that you know I don't lose out on this whole deal? And that's uh, the impetus to a lot of discussions, no doubt about it. David, another excuse that we often hear for a particular situation is when someone is taking too much risk with their money. We often hear, well, I feel like I'm behind in my savings. I need to make up for that lost time. Uh Uh-oh, big red flag there, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's one of the biggest ways that people can get themselves in trouble is feeling like they're quote-unquote behind and they need to take more risk because taking more risk never ensures a higher rate of return. It only ensures that you're you're taking more risk. So what you could potentially end up doing is you you end up say, taking so much risk that you know down the road you end up running out of money even quicker than you would have if you if you didn't take that risk. Now there I will say here again there are exceptions to every rule. There are situations that I've planned for through the years where you know I've kind of done the math and I'm like, you know, if you play it safe you're going to run out of money at age X. And if you if you take some risk, maybe you won't run out that soon. And so there are, I will say there there are situations few and far between where where it does make sense. But again, I will say few and far between. It it, it is totally situationally dependent, and it's kind of obvious in which cases uh, 
it does make more sense to make to take more risk. For example, if you know you're going to run out of money in three years, you know, to give you an extreme example, if you know you're going to run out of money in three years, well, what's the worst that can happen? You're going to you're going to be broke in three years, or maybe if you take a little bit more risk, maybe we can make it last a little longer than three years. So, in extreme examples, you know, like what I just stated, maybe it makes sense. But as a rule of thumb, that would definitely be a poor decision to make to think. Well, you know, I feel like I should have a million dollars right now and I only have 700,000, so I'm going to take a lot more risk to try to get there. That that would be a an extremely poor decision because you're again, you're potentially ensuring that you could run out of money a lot faster because again, I'll just restate what I said earlier. Higher risk does not ensure higher return. Higher risk ensures higher risk. So don't make bad decisions. Don't let a bad decision that you've made in the past, i.e. you feel like you haven't, you know, due to decisions you've made in the past to not contribute enough to your retirement or whatever it may be. Don't make bad decisions in the past allow you to make another bad decision in the present to take more risk than you should take. David, there is such a thing as too much of a good thing. And we see that all the time when somebody has too much money in cash. Again, too much of a good thing. They'll sometimes explain it away with, well, you know, I lost a lot in 2008. I don't want to go down that road again. So they've just compiled all this money in cash, thinking that it'll be safe, but that's not necessarily the case either. Yeah, absolutely. Just, you know, kind of the the other side of the coin that we just talked about. We said, just like it's it's a bad decision to say, well, I'm behind. I, I want to take more risk because I feel like I need to catch up, so to speak. It's equally as bad of a decision to say, well, I got burned in the past, so I'm not going to do that again. I'm just going to leave my, I'm just going to bury my, uh, my money in the, in the sand or under the mattress or, you know, in the bank at 0.1% interest because I just don't want to get burned again. That, that is equally as bad of a decision. So, you know, banks love it when you've got tons of money parked in their, in their bank because they're paying you I mean, literally, on average, they are paying you 0.1% interest, 0.1% interest on average in a savings or checking account. And if I go in there to borrow that money that, that they're using of yours, guess what? They're going to they're gonna loan it to me at 4%, 5%, 6% interest, right? So banks love it when you keep that much money in the bank. They're making 4 or 5% spread on your money, or, or in some cases even higher. So, so don't leave tons of money parked in cash. Now, the rule of thumb is keep about six months of living expenses parked there. That's the rule of thumb that you should follow, and that's prudent and that's sound. Even though you're getting zero point one percent interest on it, you should keep about six months of living expenses there because you can quickly access it, and you want to be able to access cash quickly if you had some major life emergency happen, such as loss of a job or medical emergency or what have you. So it is prudent to keep some amount in cash, but anything over six months, that would be a poor decision to keep to keep more than six months of living expenses stored in cash in the bank because you're just not making any interest on that. And you you can there are ways that you can invest that cash and get you know, a 3%, maybe even a 4% or higher rate of return without taking any risks on that money. So, you know, we can certainly show you what some of those vehicles look like, but you don't have to, you don't have to accept 0% return on your money 
in order to keep it safe. So important to remember all of these things when you're putting together a financial plan. And, you know, a lot of people make these mistakes and uh, uh, explain away their financial decisions that might be viewed as questionable with some of these excuses that we're talking about on the show today. One last one I want to throw at you, David, here. When someone doesn't want to leave a broker or advisor, even when they know that they should, they'll often say, well, I've been working with them for a long time. I don't want to hurt that friendship. What do you think? Yeah, and I believe it or not, I've heard that one quite a few times over the years. I've been doing this 12, almost 13 years now, and, and I have heard that one quite a few times. And I always say the same thing. Look, it's not your advisor's money. It doesn't really matter how close you are to that person. If that person's not serving your interests well, then you need to look out for your own best interests first and foremost. And by the way, I will say, you know, I do appreciate customer loyalty. You know, I, I certainly, you know, we've got a lot of clients that are, that are loyal to us, but I've even told them, Hey, if, if you ever find something better and if you feel like we're not serving in your best interest, I will never begrudge you or, or, you know, make you feel bad in any way. If you decide to move that money, cause it's not my money. It is your money. You worked all those years for it uh, while you were working to save and accumulate. And this is your retirement. This is the rest of your life. It's important. And your retirement is something that you should look out for for yourself because at the end of the day, you're the one that, that it's going to impact the most. So don't allow some friendship or some emotional connection to influence you to perhaps make a bad decision. If, if your advisor's not working in your best interest, don't, uh, don't allow a, a long-term connection to influence you to, to stick with a bad decision. All helpful points, David, and I know this is exactly what you help people in the office figure out each and every day there at Mach 1. That's right. And uh, if there's any questions that you have on anything that we've talked today, you can always reach the office here at 479-876-2100, or our website is mach-the-number-one-financial.com, and mock is spelled M-A-C-H, and then dash, not the underscore, but like the minus sign. So mock dash the number one financial.com. And uh, you can request a, an appointment right there online, or you can call the office and we'll be happy to see you anytime. And again, that number is 479-876-2100. That's 479-876-2100. For David Lee, I'm Walter Storholt. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mach 1 Market Moment. Advisory services offered through Fusion Capital Management, which is registered as an investment advisor with the SEC and only transacts business in states where it is properly registered or is excluded or exempted from registration requirements. SEC registration does not constitute an endorsement of the firm by the commission and does not imply that the advisor has achieved a particular level of skill or ability. Please consult your financial advisor as many financial and insurance products have associated fees. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss.